Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. We've been discussing the issue of net metering in this series and uh, started out with our first uh, episode where we just talked about the basics. We talked about, in the second episode, the utility perspective, third episode, the advocate perspective. And now we want to talk a little bit about some of the policy solutions that different states have been looking at around the country and also some of the different thinking around what an ultimate solution to this impasse that we're at might be. So, Tom, a lot of the solutions that we're going to talk about have been proposed legislatively. And I want to just remind uh, our listeners that the Center produces the Advanced Energy Legislation Tracker, the AEL Tracker, aeltracker.org. And you can just keyword search for net metering and it will pull up all legislation by year. So I think we're going to talk about a number of the bills that have been introduced. Yeah, and you know, there's been some consistencies in in different approaches in different states. And then there's been some real sort of innovative thinking around how do we mm-hmm. how do we address both sides' concerns? Because as we've pointed out before, there are very real concerns from both sides of this issue. Um, the the basic approach that a, a number of utilities have taken in uh, addressing the issue around the country is is putting in place a flat fee. You know, just saying if you're a solar customer, you're going to pay X dollars per month, and that's going to be used to make up this what what they're calling a loss in revenue to pay for the infrastructure costs. Right, and we talked last time, Tom, about uh, what the utilities feel is a, uh, a the cost of the system. Right, the cost of maintaining grid connection that solar customers should have to pay. And I think that informs where they're thinking on a flat fee. Would you say it's fair to say the flat fee is the most common approach to addressing this? I think that's it's absolutely the most common approach that we've seen from utilities. They kind of nuance this a little bit down in Arizona, where the Arizona Public Service uh, APS came forward with a proposal for, I think it was a $70 a month flat fee. If you're a solar customer, you pay $70 a month. Regardless, regardless of your system size. Yeah, regardless of your system size. Um, and uh, what they came back with, the Arizona Corporation Commission came back with, was a $0.70 cent per kilowatt per month charge on solar customers. So if you have a solar system that's 3 kilowatts, you'd pay $2.10 a month. Mm-hmm. So it's the installed capacity of the solar system times, uh, times $0.70, cents and that's a flat fee. And, you know, the solar industry, I think because this ended up being such a minimal charge, kind of was sort of, you know... Well, certainly versus the opening proposal yeah, versus from the, the Relative to what they came out with at the beginning, it was definitely uh, more in their favor. Um, they, they have a couple of issues, uh, not specifically with Arizona, but with this approach of a flat fee. One is that they don't want to see solar customers treated differently Mm -hmm. than other customers. That's Mm -hmm. been a a constant refrain. The other is that when you're producing solar at your home or at your business, a certain portion of the amount of the power that you generate actually goes directly into the home or business to provide electric uh, service. And then what you don't use is going out through the meter. So all what their argument is is that all solar systems and all businesses and homes aren't actually using the grid in the same way. In some, in some cases, they, they might not be net metering hardly anything because they're using most of it in their building, depending on what their size is and what their demand is. And 
in in other cases, they may be exporting most of their power during the day. So the the each of these systems are different, and so when you put in place you know, this quote-unquote flat fee, you're, you're inherently treating all systems the same, and they aren't. And so in your example, whether, whether a homeowner is home for six months of the year and using energy or not, they're still paying the flat fee, right? That's exactly. the idea. Yeah. So that's flat fee. And then a second solution or proposal that we've seen out there is <clears throat> what we're calling reduced payment. And where net metering is retained... Uh, but the compensation to the customer is is not at the retail level, but at something less than that, and typically the utilities avoided costs. So the utilities costs of energy, right? Yeah, I you know I think it's it's taken a number of forms, and this is you know a payment basically for the power or a credit on your bill for the power, as opposed to just crediting you for the kilowatt hours. And, you know, the utilities will come at this with a certain calculation. Mm-hmm. They'll start with avoided costs. Okay, this is what we're paying for our, our gas plants and our coal plants, the power from those. That's where we're going to start. And then they might consider various other uh, uh, costs uh, that, they would, that they would put on top of that or values that they would put on top of that. I think probably the most... Um, detailed uh, effort in, in legislation that we've seen on this was what's called the value of solar tariff in Minnesota. So in 2013, legislation passed in Minnesota to actually try and create a calculation that would determine what the value was of the solar that was being placed on the grid and then compensate the solar uh, generator for that value as opposed to just net metering. So can we call this the sort of third solution? We've got flat fee, we've got reduced payment, and then sort of the, 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 uh, the, the counter to reduced payment is, is a VOS, right, a value of solar tariff. And Minnesota got this going legislatively uh, in 2013 with uh, HF 729, which Tom directed the Minnesota Department of Commerce to evaluate this sort of host of costs and benefits to distributed solar and to refer back to the Public Utilities Commission what they believed was the calculation on the value of solar. Exactly. And the utilities in the in the legislation, they said then, at that point, the utilities could decide whether to use net metering mm-hmm. or to use the value of solar tariff. And the solar advocates had, had you know, made the claim uh, repeatedly that you know this issue of, uh, of 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 shift of a cost shift to non-solar customers was a red herring because the actual value of what they were putting on was greater than what what they were being compensated for. So it was actually they were subsidizing the system as opposed to the system subsidizing them. And right. uh, so what they did in this value of solar tariff and in the methodology is they started out with the avoided fuel costs, what we were talking about um, earlier, you know, the avoided cost of the power. But then they also added in uh, that the Commerce Commission would, um, or the Department of Commerce would also figure out how to calculate avoided costs of building new generation, the avoided operation and maintenance cost of that new generation that you're not having to build, uh, avoided reserve capacity costs, avoided trans- transmission capacity costs, distribution capacity costs. They also included avoided environmental costs and the cost to regulate distribution as well as you know the, the, the cost of integration of those resources. So they took these values, these costs, tried to put it all into one formula 
and this was called their methodology for the value of solar tariff or the VOST. And then, you know, run your numbers through there and that is your value that you come up with. And at the end of the day, yeah. Well, I think what, what you said is really important that, that it was a methodology, right? It wasn't just a number. And we mentioned uh, in a previous segment about the Rocky Mountain Institute sort of meta-analysis on what is the value where the numbers are all over the place, right? right. So it was, it was a number. They arrived at a number, which was? It was a little over 14 cents a kilowatt. I think it's 14 and a half cents so a kilowatt pretty high. for the Excel territory. So right. uh, to your point, depending on the utility, depending on the infrastructure that they had, depending on their generation mix and how much it cost, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to end up with an, with a different number. Mm-hmm. What they came up with in the Excel territory, which is the biggest IOU uh, serving Minnesota, was 14.5 cents. And this was higher than the retail value uh, through net metering. And so, you know, the utility just said, well, we'll stick with net metering. Sure. So well, they drew the boundaries pretty wide, right? Yeah. And, and they have come up with this methodology, but to date it hasn't been actually implemented. Uh, and so, so that's the third solution or uh, uh, compromise, I guess you could call it, to this net metering debate. And then there's one more, right? Yeah. Minimum bill. Well, yeah, minimum bill in Massachusetts is a, is a kind of an interesting approach Massachusetts took with some legislation to, they did two things. One, they said, we want to make sure that solar customers get full credit for any power they put on the, on the grid. And what this, what this does in reality, uh, you're going to generate more power in the summer. You're mm-hmm. going to generate less power in the winter, right. uh, shorter days, et cetera. So what happens to a solar generator's bill is that it goes way down in the summertime uh, to, you know, where they're sometimes, in, you know, below you know, their, their net You're net overproducing. Yeah. yeah. And then in the wintertime, they actually might not uh, meet all of their demand and they, and they end up taking more power off of, off of the grid. And so you end up, as a solar customer, you end up with a very low bill in the summer and a, and a higher bill in the, in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So what the Massachusetts legislation said was, what if we increase that minimum bill? That is, we're not going to reduce the amount of credit you get, but you're just not going to take as much of it in the summer. And you'll end up uh, having a, um, you know, less of an increase in your bill in the winter because you'll be able to bank those kilowatt hours and, and, uh, and use them in the wintertime. So that was, that was one sort of compromise that they came up to with the utilities. They get, so it's still net metering. It's, it's still, still net, net metering, metering, but it's a minimum bill. You're still getting yeah. value for your, all of your solar generation. It's just spreading it out more across right. the year as opposed to all coming in the summer versus the So winter. it might be worth pointing out that you talk, so you talked about crediting and the, the overproduction of solar in the summertime and underproduction to meet the load. It's probably worth mentioning that a number of states allow that month-to-month, and utilities allow the month-to-month crediting. Some states and utilities allow year-over-year carry-forward. So if you had a really high production year in 2014, in this instance, you could carry those credits forward to 2015. And in that way, your, uh, uh, your net bill at the end of the year could be, um, could be zeroed out. But the rules are different among states and among utilities. Yeah, one of the things that we found in Colorado was that the utility didn't want to, um, uh, didn't want to carry debt. And right. so, and so they opted for the opportunity of either, you know, paying the customer at the end of the year 
at for, the at, at the, the avoided at rate, at the avoided cost rate, yeah. which was very low. Right. Um, or the customer could permanently opt to carry forward their generation. Create a bank that they could never be paid out of uh, cash-wise, but they could use, right. they, if they consumed the energy, they would receive credit for right. it. Right, yeah. yeah, and that way they could take that debt off of their books, and that was a compromise with the utilities. But um, one of the other components of the Massachusetts legislation was not just that the, you, you get this minimum bill, but they also instructed the Public Utilities Commission, the mm -hmm. PRC in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. to look at rate redesign. And this is another big uh, thing that a lot of states are starting to think about, is that you know when we look at our rates, we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about where there's cross-subsidization across the entire right. Uh, right. rate base. When you when you look at your rates, it, they're for the most part flattened out. You might have more expensive power at a certain time of the day, and you might have cheaper power at another time of the day. A time of use rate. Right. And so, so, so but in most cases, that, that, that cost to the customer is flattened out. You pay the same for the most part during the day or at night. In some places, you might have mm -hmm. a slight change. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have block rates. You might have different sorts of rate structures. But all, none of them are truly taking this true cost of power at a certain point and, and charging the customer for whatever that true cost of power is. One of the reasons solar advocates like this rate uh, approach is because they believe that when they're producing power during the day, that's when the power is of highest value. That's when, if you were to look at what the utilities are paying for that power, that's when they're probably paying the most. And so if you could credit the solar generator for that true value of power, they believe that would be a little bit more of an equitable treatment um, within the rate structure. And I think it's fair to say that regardless of what state you live in, which utility you're served by, there is a there is a cost of power that fluctuates hourly, and probably even on an interval basis, which is sort of on a 15 minute basis. And so, how do you value any resource that comes onto the grid based on when it's available, right? And so, the, it's a complicated uh, formula here. But I think the Vost in Minnesota is is probably the most sort of comprehensive look at this to date. I think it is worth mentioning, so we talked about flat fee, we talked about reduced payment, we talked about the VOST, and we talked about minimum bill. But if we sort of rewind the clock, you know, 10 years ago, I think there was a lot of conversation, and still is, but the conversation was about utility ownership, right? And if, if utilities could simply own distributed generation, then they could rate base it, they could value it. Uh, they could integrate it into the grid, and they could earn a, a rate of return on it. Yeah, we, we haven't really seen that happen until recently. Right. We saw, um, real recently, we've seen a proposal from Arizona Public Service that they would uh, essentially lease roof space from their customers for $35 a month, mm -hmm. and that would just be a flat payment or, or credit to the homeowner. We're going to lease your roof, and we're going to put a, a, a solar system on your roof all of that power will be net metered. It'll all just go straight into the grid. So it's basically distributed generation for the utility. It's almost like a, a right-of-way on your rooftop, exactly. right? Like the way the utility purchases the right-of-way in a franchise agreement. In this in this case, they're, they're, they're renting your roof space. Yeah, renting your roof space. Yeah. And so that's come before the, the ACC, the commission in Arizona. They're 
Uh, there were some technical things that they wanted to work out, but uh, that's that's a real uh, a very real possibility going forward that that may become a uh, a project in Arizona. You know, one of the other ways of thinking about this as we start thinking about you know future ways of of dealing with this issue. Um, might be to think about what the customer is doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis what a utility does. So when a utility buys generation um, and they put it onto the grid and they serve their customers, they get a return for that investment that they collect from the entire rate base. Mm -hmm. And that you know, your, all of your rates may go up a certain amount to help pay for that generation and to give uh, the, the utility not only their their investment costs, but also a return on their investment for their investors. And if you think about it, the solar generator is doing the same thing. They're investing, they're making that upfront investment in generation, they're putting it on the grid, and they're collecting uh, through a credit on their on their Through that metering, that's metering, how they're right? being repaid for their investment. They're, they're being repaid for their investment. Right. Now, one of the things that we do here from utilities in, in conversation is, okay, that's fine, but there's no cap on what they can earn. We have a cap on what we can earn, right? Because regulated utilities have a regulated uh, return on equity that is set by the commission. 10% to 12% right. per year-ish. And so they can only earn that much. And they say, you know, look at these companies like Solar City or look right. at these other companies that are doing this. They don't have a cap on what they can earn. They're just out there. They can, you know, earn as much as they want. And... So one approach might be to, to say, okay, well, what if you were to structure a payment to that solar customer that was uh, equal to or similar to the return on equity that is granted to the utility? So say, okay, a solar uh, customer is going to spend X amount on a solar system over a 10-year period of time. We want them to return, earn a rate of return of 11%, whatever the the return return rate of return is for the utility, and set your set your price based on that. Um, that's one thing that could be considered. You know, another aspect of this is what we get what we get down to at its essence is that net metering may not actually be the problem. It's it's imperfect, right? It, Ever, and even these solutions, they're. They, they, they are an imperfect solution to, uh, to a problem that um, is sort of institutional, right? I mean, our the public utility compact that we're still largely operating under now was put in place in the early part of last century when we wanted to electrify America, right? right? When we wanted to build large power plants. And, uh, and, and the compact with the utilities was a guaranteed rate of return uh, if they uh, kept the lights on, if power was reliable, right? Keep and we're the trying lights on, to sell electricity. We'll give you the customers. We'll guarantee That's you the right. customers. That's right. We just want you to build stuff and sell electricity. Electrify America, large yeah. hydro projects, and sort of the industrialization of America. And that model just does not work under a distributed generation future and where I think a lot of utilities are seeing their customers wanting them to go. And so some states, Tom, have actually said, okay, let's take a step back. This is a piece of the problem, net metering and distributed generation. Uh, but there are larger, more broad issues at play here. Utility credit ratings are declining. Load is declining, in part due to the recession, but in part due to other efforts like efficiency. Um, and we need a new regulatory compact. 
I think we heard uh, from a utility executive recently that they feel, utilities feel they are 10 years behind technology, but that the uh, utilities are 10 years ahead of regulation. And so there's this sort of temporal disconnect on keeping up in terms of regulation. New York, Massachusetts, and Hawaii all have open proceedings that look at this broader issue of the utility business model or the utility revenue model, which we're hearing a ton about recently. And that includes net metering, but it's broader than those issues. It's more about the, the compact around uh, customer satisfaction, reliability. Well, it's around public policy. So, yeah. you know, one of the things you've been talking about is we're seeing increases in efficiency. We're seeing increases right. in distributed generation. We're seeing increases in renewable power. Tighter environmental regulations. These are all things that are public policy objectives, right? That's we right. want more energy efficiency. We want, as a society, we want cleaner power. We want more energy efficiency. We want innovation. We want all these things. We want job creation. We want these are all things we want, and yet those are not the things that we pay utilities to accomplish. Exactly. And in fact, we, we, it works to the detriment of the utility business model when we actually accomplish our public policy objectives. So the question in these states, which is a really interesting one, is how do we align utility revenue model their with, pro so that when we say their revenue model we mean their profitability their right? profitability their ways of recovering investment how do we align that with our public policy objectives how do mm -hmm. we pay them right. for doing a good job in the things that we want them to do a good job on beyond building power and selling power which was what we wanted them to do in the 40s and 50s which worked really well so we're entering this kind of new this new um, energy paradigm where we need to really reform the regulatory model. So, Tom, that's net metering. It's a hot topic. It's, uh, it's an often proposed legislative issue. Uh, we talked about uh, four solutions, flat fee, reduced payment, uh, value of solar tariff, minimum bill, and then we, we kind of expanded and, and took a step back for a second there and talked about the need to revisit the utility uh, business model and regulatory and compact. Rate, uh, the the rate structures. Exactly. Um, yeah, different things. Different things that we might be able to look at more creative, creatively, uh, to come at a, a real policy solution for the long term. So. That's our, our series on net metering, and uh, you can listen to the Energy Policy Podcast at policypodcast.com. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening, and next month we are going to be getting into, for the month of March, we're going to be getting into energy productivity. All right. That'll be our policy issue for the month. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.